Lewis. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this opportunity that uh, get us all together to offer our thanks and praise and uh, also to study uh, the word and so may so we may receive the spiritual blessings and to be strengthened and we thank you for chosen us um, from the foundation of the world that enable us to be the recipient of your grace and so we may be uh, joyful and rejoice in you and be the witness and testimony to your wonderful grace that not only redeem us from uh, the penalty of sins, but also give us the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And we just thank you and praise you. Father, we pray for our, uh, our nation, and uh, which is uh, under attack. And for a long time, it just um, become more and more obvious now. And we thank for that more and more uh, people are aware of all the influence from the evil force that try to control us and uh, to lead us straight from the light toward the darkness. And we just pray that in this uh, dark hours, and many may be drawn to you and through your word, through your wisdom, and through your love. And may we become uh, the useful uh, witness or testimony to those around us who are discouraged and are disheartened by the situation. And may we be bold to speak out uh, uh, your truth and your wisdom and share uh, our blessings with others. And thank you, Father, for all things. Your grace is sufficient for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Louis. Well, today, <clears throat> I promised uh, for a while we'd get to this point. <laughs> and here we are today, uh, considering this great subject of Scripture, the new heavens and the new earth, uh, in which righteousness dwells. <laughs> Certainly don't have that situation today, do we? Those that do not rightly divide the word of truth are so confused about this. They think somehow the church is the new heavens and the new earth or whatever. I don't know. You know, they're very confused. And we may be confused as well. If we don't study the scripture carefully, uh, there will be much that we don't know. But uh, as you'll see today, uh, there's much we may know if we do study the scripture carefully. And yet there are still questions that will abide in our minds because we do not and will not until that day, have the knowledge that uh, 
that we can have, if only, if only, right? If only the Spirit of God would open our hearts entirely and give us a full view and understanding of everything that's been written. <clears throat> um, last time we we focused especially on the faith of the patriarchs. They surely had a resurrection hope, didn't they? That was proven so clearly on their deathbeds in some cases when they made their loved ones <clears throat> promise to take their bones into the promised land, right? So they had a resurrection hope, and it wasn't simply the hope of life after death. It was a hope of being raised from the dead into their earthly inheritance, which was land. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have to clear my voice here and take a sip of tea. So the faith of the patriarchs had the content of resurrection in the promised land. We looked at that carefully. We, we considered a number of scriptures. There were more that we didn't look at, but we did consider some beginning in the chapter of Genesis where you remember uh, Abraham took his son, the son of promise, okay, uh, Isaac, up on a mountain. They went up together. Uh, Isaac was to be offered up as a burnt sacrifice. Uh, Abraham knew that. <clears throat> the mountain that they went up on was called uh, Moriah. It was in the land of Moriah, so there are a number of mountains there. And uh, that's the first place Moriah is mentioned in the Bible. But it's also mentioned again in Second Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1, where David... Um, has received a revelation directly from Jehovah God. And uh, that place was the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. He owned that piece of land. It was inside the city of Jerusalem. And um, Solomon is instructed to construct the temple in that place, okay? So Solomon's temple was built on the site where Abraham had offered up Isaac to the Lord, right? That should cause you considerable joy to know this, that somehow God cares <coughs> very much about a piece of land and a particular location in that land. There were a number of other scriptures you probably uh, studied if you took the notes from the Liberty Messenger website and studied them, right, where these things are given in more detail than what I've just give, given you the overview of now. Okay, um, 
Why is there this constant focus on the land? It's because the promises of God for Israel related to that land, right? Uh, they were given a resurrection hope in the context of a piece of real estate. Now, for us, that's something quite different than what we have come to know. Our hope is heavenly. It is not on this earth, right? No land was promised to you or to me. No city. Uh, no special location, latitude, longitude, whatever. No. Extending from one river to another. No. That has not been promised to us, but it was promised to Abraham and to his seed. And that promise was restated uh, and, in fact, refined a number of times uh, down through Israel's history, right? Then we looked at Acts chapter 7. This is in that great speech of uh, Stephen as he's about to be martyred, right, by stoning at the hand of this man, Saul, right? Later to be renamed Paul. So in Acts 7, we read of this. It says, Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried over into Shechem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Shechem. Okay, so Jacob went down into Egypt and died, and uh, he was then carried off with the special permission of Pharaoh, right? Joseph was allowed to carry Jacob's body off to where? To the promised land where he could be buried with his fathers, right? in that special place. It also says, and our fathers there, because the rest of them were also, uh, their bones were carried off only not for 400 and some years, right? When they finally entered into the promised land. And uh, that's then under the management of, uh, you know, Joshua and Caleb, okay? And you can read about that, uh, and all the references for that I've included in the handout for last time. Okay, so that's where we were last time. Now, what that illustrates so well, and the reason why I gave you the detail teaching on that, is that the Old Testament prophecies, for the most part, demand a literal fulfillment. Uh, and, of course, the New Testament prophecies do as well, right? Demand a literal, for the most part, a literal fulfillment. However, there are many, even some dispensationally inclined in their approach to prophecy that believe that much prophecy should be interpreted allegorically. Well, that tends to get one into great trouble uh, when it comes to understanding, okay? And we're, we've seen a lot about that as we've gone through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation here in our studies on the long war against God. Okay, now today we have to look again. We've done this before. We've spent much time already uh, in the book of Revelation, especially considering the tribulation period, right? But there's much more in the book of Revelation that we haven't looked at. Some of that I want to look at today. And there are some special difficulties 
in interpreting that book. And um, why are there special difficulties? Well, <clears throat> because there's some evidence there of non-literal meaning, non-literal intention. Uh, for example, there's language that's very dated. So the Apostle John sees visions. He sees things in those visions. He needs to write that down here in this document, right? The book, what we call the book of Revelation. It's really named the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the actual name of the book uh, or Revelation of Jesus Christ, right? So John writes it down. But when he sees things, he writes of them and describes them in language that he knew well for the time, right? So the language is very dated in the sense that something he sees something and thinks it's like uh, a large insect, for example, right? When really it's maybe, we don't know, maybe it's a helicopter, okay? <clears throat> Just saying language that's dated uh, is what it is. To interpret, uh, you can't necessarily do the interpretation simply because we don't know exactly what his vision was of other than his description of it, right? Okay, so so that's certainly a, the case, and that means there are symbols, that means there are some allegories uh, in the book of Revelation that we have difficulty interpreting, literally. Okay, <clears throat> also there is progressive revelation. For Israel, much of that is found in the Bible, right? Uh, where, where there'll be a revelation given, a, a prophecy. Uh, it may be rather short in words, but uh, deep in meaning. And later in Israel's history, there'll be more progressive revelation given concerning those prophecies. So they became, become more and more detailed and specific uh, over time. And in the book of Revelation, we see a lot of details given, right? But this progressive revelation, if we try to interpret it by comparing Scripture with Scripture, you know, if we're trying to interpret a prophecy given to Abraham, we'll have to look forward to a more detailed reference to the same subject given much later, perhaps in John's revelation, right? Uh, and there will be questions that arise as to, well, maybe this is about something different than that, because it's not exactly the same uh, language. So there will be issues in interpretation. We'll be limited. We won't be so sure uh, of our view as otherwise we might have been, right? Then, finally, there's the book of Revelation uh, that's a record of visions, and those visions are not necessarily historical in the, on, on the same timeline. What I mean is that they're not given, uh, the visions are not given out sequentially as to the calendar time, yet future, of course. So historical time order is not necessarily uh, found there in the order of those visions that John has recorded. And that makes biblical interpretation more difficult, right? Now, that's not all. <clears throat> There's another issue. <laughs> <clears throat> 
before we get to the positives here, there's another issue. And that's that some portions of the word of God are not even for us. In other words, it's written for the sake of Israel. It's not written for the sake of us, at least not in the same way, right? It's written for their faith and their obedience. It's written for our faith, not necessarily our obedience, because we're not under the same rule, right, dispensationally. So that leads to issues in uh, interpretation and our ability, therefore, to understand exactly what's written. But that's not all either, because some things are not even ready to be known by anyone. And we know that because Daniel was told directly, and it's written in Daniel chapter 12, <laughs> Daniel says, I heard, he's hearing these revelations, but I understood not. This is Daniel 12, 8. Oh, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? So Daniel's quite concerned with what's been revealed, and his mind is running wild, as it were. And how is it all going to end, he says. And he said, <laughs> he, uh, this is the voice <clears throat> of God <clears throat> through his servant. He said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So at the appointed time, the wise would understand exactly what had been written. Okay, so... So just a word to the wise. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> understanding is often limited. Uh, <clears throat> but nevertheless, we seek to understand God's word. Even though we are not ultimately able to fully understand these prophecies. Okay. But many things are absolutely clear. Many things are clear. For example, there will be a rapture of the church. There will be a seven-year tribulation period following that. There will be a 1,000-year millennial kingdom following that tribulation and following this second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And there are many things in Scripture regarding this that are clear. So God's overall plan for the ages is clear. The only issue is some of the details and the understanding of what has been written. But one thing we're sure of, the church, the body of Christ, is not found in those portions of Scripture that are given directly to Israel for their benefit. This church isn't there. So you may read about the church being in, on the heading of the page in your Bible where it says this is all about the church, but it's really about Israel and the tribulation period, you know. So don't take those notes at the top of the page or the sections as inspired. They're just the work of men, translators, commentators, whatever. Okay, today I want us to look at the revelation of God concerning the new heavens and the new earth. And, of course, as a central part of that, the new Jerusalem. And as a central part of that, the temple. 
<clears throat> okay. Um, and uh, the reason why we're looking at this this way is that the scriptures given that refer to this, these topics, are exceedingly interesting, very detailed, and the wording is carefully chosen by the Holy Spirit as he brought these words by inspiration, by God breathing, as it were, to the authors, the human authors, right? And we have to look carefully at this, or we will be thoroughly confused, I assure you. <laughs> we will be confused. So our outline today is there's just two parts, <clears throat> um, because we're going to leave part of this for next time. Uh, <clears throat> I said our subject is the new heavens and the new earth. Well, it is, but we're just laying a f foundation today for that. We'll finish it up next time, Lord willing. But our outline today is, first of all, the prophecies regarding the city of God or the new Jerusalem have both a near and a far fulfillment. The prophecies regarding the city of God or the new Jerusalem have both a near and a far fulfillment. And secondly, the prophecies regarding the millennial temple have both a near and a far fulfillment. In that case, they're quite different, the far fulfillment from the near. Because, in fact, in the new heavens and the new earth, in its uh, ultimate uh, form, there will be no temple at all except <laughs> our Lord Jesus himself. Okay? Uh, very interesting. <clears throat> so these are interesting and wonderful things. So first of all, the prophecies regarding the city of God or the new or the new Jerusalem have both a near and a far fulfillment. Um, as we proceed, take <clears throat> take note of something important um, in prophecy. <clears throat> sometimes. There'll be a sort of a reference or at least an implication that a prophecy will be fulfilled completely at a far future time uh, in what's called in three different places, the new heavens and the new earth. But in some of the prophecies that seem to point forward to that, we see the presence of a temple. And yet another statement a clear statement of scripture indicates there will be no temple at all in the new heaven and the new earth, apart from the Lord himself. And so no building, no building in the final form of the new heavens and the new earth. But in the earlier form, there is a temple. That's the millennial temple. Okay. Okay. So this is uh, the way progressive revelation works with often there's a near fulfillment. It's not complete. It's partial. And it's foreshadowing and pointing forward to that which is perfect and complete and, 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 and full in, in the future time, right? And we're going to see that from the very beginning here. And in, in our first reading, I'd like Lewis to read in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12, uh, where we see that. Uh, Lewis, would you please read Revelation 312. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, 
and he shall go no more out, and will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. <laughs> Thank you, Lewis. Okay, there, there we have quite a start to the subject today. Um, here's a promise, right? It's a statement which affects a promise uh, in its details, right? And it's about the overcomers. And there's something quite remarkable uh, here. Uh, it mentions the New Jerusalem. It mentions the city of God coming down out of heaven, right? <laughs> and it's, he says, called the New Jerusalem, right? Notice the word new in the King James is not capitalized. <laughs> the word new. It probably is in your version, <laughs> maybe, but it's not here in mine. And that's rather interesting. And I think sort of a profound significance, in fact, as we'll see. Okay? <clears throat> because... <clears throat> What Revelation 3.12 is all about is something that every overcomer, they're the ones that endure the tribulation period and will not receive the mark of the beast and suffer the consequences, right? Many of them martyr, okay? The overcomers are going to receive the fulfillment of their hope. Their hope is given here in the content of it, right? That they're going to be pillars in the temple of God, okay? When, when, it says when, when the city comes down out of heaven to this earth, right? Now, that there could be a thousand year delay in the fulfillment of this promise, that they wouldn't even receive this promise when they're resurrected in the kingdom? Impossible, right? This has to be about the millennial kingdom and the, those that will in some cases, go alive into that kingdom, in other cases, uh, resurrected into it, right, if they've d died first, okay? So that's uh, very interesting, is it not? Uh, that temple that's mentioned there is the temple that will exist within the millennial kingdom in which, of course, um, there are sacrifices offered and so forth and so on. We already looked at that in great detail, right? Outside of this temple will be the throne. In fact, there will be 12 thrones on either side of it. Uh, and on that throne, our Lord Jesus Christ will rule as Israel's perfect king, right? Uh, throughout that entire period, right? Um, so <laughs> the reference here concerns the hope of the overcomer which will be fulfilled when Christ returns to set up his kingdom, right? Now, you can compare this if sometime, uh, have a few moments, with what's written in Mark 14, Mark 14 and Zechariah 6, because in, in Mark 14 it actually says, this is the Lord himself saying, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. It's talking about the, the Herodian rebuilt temple, right? And within three days, I will build another made without hands. Within three days. 
So there is going to be a temple built. This is clearly a millennial statement, right? And uh, it will be built, though, not with human hands, but with the hands of the Lord, right? And the hands of God. This will be <clears throat> this will be a temple, indeed, that uh, is uh, heavenly in nature, but will be found here upon this earth. Zechariah chapter 6, verse is 12 and 13 that we've already looked at here, um, says, the man whose name is the branch, and of course this is uh, the uh, incarnate son of God, right? The seed of the woman, right? He shall grow up and he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall build the temple of the Lord and he shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule upon his throne and he shall be a priest upon his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. That's Zechariah chapter 6. Okay. Okay, so we have a foreshadowing here of that final rule and kingdom and city. Uh, it won't be a perfect place in every respect, not like in the new heavens and the new earth when that time comes, but there, because there there will be no physical temple. But here, when the kingdom is established, there will be a temple in Jerusalem, okay? It says in chapter 3, verse 12, it will come down, in fact, out of heaven, at least the, uh, the, the new Jerusalem will. So, so that gives you sort of the beginning of understanding of how um, this is going to eventually come to pass, right? As God kind of wraps up, <laughs> to say the least, in the kingdom, much of what had been promised for his people, and then finally in the new heavens and the earth, new earth, culminating the fulfillment uh, of their hope, right? If we want to skip ahead, which we will do now, uh, way down to chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, Linda, would you please read those first two verses? Because here now we see, uh, looking forward, <laughs> to the uh, end of the story, as it were, uh, how God is going to complete his promises someday to per absolute perfection. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Linda. Okay, so the New Jerusalem. Notice the, uh, if you have the King James as I do, the, this particular printing of it. Um, here, uh, the word new is also not capitalized. I wonder why. It seems like it should be in this case, right? Um, because this is now going to be the final uh, rendition of this. And in a moment, I'll say things that will really amaze you, but uh, we're not quite there yet. So these two verses are pointing forward to the final fulfillment, right, of these promises, right? This is about the eternal state, okay? Notice that the changes to the earth are very dramatic, right? New heaven and the new earth, the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and no more. C, okay? Uh, 
this is referring back to uh, Isaiah 65 that indicates how dramatic the changes will be at that time. In fact, back there in Isaiah 65, it says the old earth and the old heavens won't even be remembered. Nobody will even remember them again. They're gone even from the memories of everyone. Of course, everyone at that time will be in a transformed body, resurrected or transformed, right, glorified bodies. Um, no one in a in a um, still in a natural body at that point. Once the new heavens and the new earth reach their fullness. Okay, so are we supposed to conclude, therefore, that there are different forms that the new Jerusalem will take? Uh, when the kingdom is established versus later when the kingdom ends and after the great white throne judgment has been accomplished and Satan has been banished to, to uh, the lake of fire? Or are we supposed to see this as two different cities of God that come down, two different new heavens and new earth? I think the latter is a better interpretation than the former uh, we'll see that made clearer here when we read the next verses. So, Patty, Patty, I want you to read in Revelation chapter 21, verses 10, 16, and 22, please. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Verse 16. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Verse 22. And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Okay, thank you, honey. <clears throat> oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> notice that uh, some of the same languages here that we've seen before, the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descends out of heaven from God. Um, but notice it says what the dimensions are here in verse 16. The city lieth four square. The length is as large as the breadth and uh, also the height. And it measures 12 thousand furlongs okay a furlong for those that love horse racing <laughs> is uh just about it's a little bit more than one eighth of a mile okay and so if you divide the uh 12 000 by eight the size of this is approximately 1500 miles on aside this is the size of not the promised land but of the city the new jerusalem that comes down out of heaven okay this is very different than what comes down out of heaven at the beginning of the millennial kingdom right when christ returns to this earth very different indeed because in fact the whole Pro size of the promised land is much less 
than the size of this city all by itself. You can get the size of the promised land well in mind by going back to Genesis chapter 15. We already looked at that, right? It'll extend from the river Nile to the river Euphrates and so forth, right? That gives you the general uh, view of how large that is. So here we have um, the New Jerusalem, clearly a different city from that one that is uh, brought to earth here at the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom. And this one doesn't even have a temple in it, apart from uh, the Lord God and uh, the Son of God, right? But that other one that came a thousand years earlier to this earth does have a temple, okay? Very clear, very, very clear. So they're different cities. The one foreshadows the other, definitely, right? In many, many ways. But there will be many differences, too. Okay, so I think that gives us good reason to conclude that there are different forms of the New Jerusalem. One foreshadows the other. Okay, um, let's get on to the second point, then. What about the temple? Okay, there are prophecies regarding the Millennial Temple. We know that. We've already looked at some of them, right? And those have mostly a near fulfillment at the time the kingdom's established, but they are foreshadowings of what will occur later, right? When, in fact, in the final fulfillment of the new heavens and the new earth, in other words, in the eternal state, there will not even actually be a building that's a temple at all, right? Um, and these others point forward to that. These other prophecies uh, are about a foreshadowing that points forward to their final fulfillment uh, at that time far future, right? And it'll be a thousand years future. Okay? And we could look at a lot of references on this. There are many uh, in the book of Revelation. But we started out looking at one, and that's in uh, Revelation 3.12. We already read that. And that's the promise for the overcomers. Okay? Now, if we go on, look a little bit further on in the book of Revelation, we see that in chapter 7, uh, there, and we're going to read some of those verses in a moment. I'm going to ask uh, Ted in a moment to read chapter 7, verses 13 through 17. But leading up to that, just to see the context, this is where there are 12,000 Israelites sealed, making up a total of 144,000, 12,000 of each tribe, right? And they're sealed, and uh, in other words, their salvation is secured, and their ministry is secured. Uh, and we read about that beginning uh, in verse 3 of chapter 7 of Revelation. And then we get down a little bit further down uh, in verse uh, 9. It says, after those 144,000 are sealed, right? It says, After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and to the Lamb and all the angels, around about the throne and 
The elders and the four beasts all fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And now we get to those verses. Ted, I'd like you to read these, because what these verses uh, prove is that this is clearly all millennial, okay? Uh, it's all about the establishing then of the millennial kingdom. But what we see is that the language is very much looking forward. It's it's a foreshadowing of what will actually be completed in the new heavens and the new earth. So in the kingdom, you have a foreshadowing of what will come later to its full fruition. Okay, uh, please read that for us uh, there, Ted, verses 13 through 17 of Revelation 7. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are, therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the temple shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them into living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Okay, amen, amen. Thanks, Ted. Okay, you see it says they've come out of the great tribulation, right? Washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb, and now they're before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Okay? So this is millennial. There's a temple. There's the throne. The Lord Jesus is sitting on that throne, ruling this earth, right? From Jerusalem, from the new Jerusalem that's come down upon this earth, right? And notice the blessings. No more hunger, no more thirst. Um, and they have a living fountain of water, and God wipes away all the tears from their eyes. It's exactly the way it will be when the kingdom is established, okay? And those that had that kingdom hope will enjoy the fullness of that at that time, right? On this earth, in that place, uh, they will receive their inheritance. So this is clearly millennial. The Great Tribulation has ended, and they've now received their kingdom hope. But some of this language, especially, you notice there, the language in uh, in verse uh, 16 and 17 is very much like what we read about in chapter 21, uh, right? Uh, which is about the final and completed new heavens and new earth, right? Streams of living water and so forth and so on. Okay, so again, what will happen during the kingdom will be a foreshadowing of what will happen later. You'll have the new heavens and the new earth in a form that's come 
uh, already to being, but not in its complete form. You'll still be have sin there in the kingdom. You'll still have rebellion. Uh, there'll be those living in natural bodies still. There'll still be death and so forth. That will not be. None of that will be carried off into the new heavens and the new earth and its completed and final uh, uh, reality, right? <clears throat> but um, and the temple will not be carried over as well. There'll be no need for it. So again, don't we see how clearly this? does become when we see that there's both the early or the near and then the final fulfillment of the progressive revelation of Israel's hope, right? Israel will have an eternal hope, and it will be in the new heavens and the new earth, specifically the earth, okay? Okay, so... um, that's uh, all I want to cover today because the rest of the story is what are now the details concerning this final eternal state of the new heavens and the new earth and where are we in all of this. So next time we'll look at the three spheres spheres of blessing eternally. Okay, We'll be in one of them. And others will be in the others. Okay, and we'll look at that next time, Lord willing. Revelation chapter 21, Roy, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 22. Please, please read for us. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw John, the holy city, used from out of, God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, and, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. That I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb or the temple of it. Okay, thank you, Roy. Yes, indeed, uh, those are the verses that show how this all comes to fruition in the eternal state, right? In the new heavens and the new earth with the new Jerusalem, which is 1,500 miles on a side, whether it's a pyramid or a cube, we don't know, okay? And uh, that will be where righteousness dwells. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We'll look at that more next time, Lord willing. Okay, any comments or questions, please? Okay, well... Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for gathering us today. And uh, it's in the joy of opening your word together, Father, that we do gather each each time we meet. And uh, we've reached this point, Father, where we're considering the final verses there in the recorded word of God, your 
revelation to mankind of your eternal purpose, which is a purpose in the heavenlies, yes, and also on this earth. So, Father, thank you that you've given us uh, opportunity to meet today and to consider this. Father, our hearts are heavy when we consider this world and its evil. Uh, but we know that all this will be eventually uh, resolved in a way that even pleases you, for you've chosen this plan above all others. So, Father, thank you that uh, our redemption is real. It's not only nigh and close, it's real, <laughs> Father, and it's present today with us. Thank you for the joy that we have in knowing you, and may we uh, always rest in the glories of your completed grace. And we would thank you in Christ's name. Amen.